Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our latest ebook, Being a Grateful Leader. In it, you'll learn about the personal, professional, and even medical benefits of gratitude, how to express real gratitude, how to develop a practice of gratitude for yourself, and specifically how to be a grateful leader, as in the title. You can go ahead and grab your copy at, in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 205. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am very, very excited about today's show. Every time I speak to today's guest, um, I learn so much, and I think our listeners are going to enjoy it as well. He is the founder and game master at Gratitude Games, which is a global movement mobilizing people to learn, deepen, and share gratitude as a way of life. He is also the CEO and president of Gistics Incorporated, which is a strategic consultancy. He has over 40 years of experience in brand strategy. He's worked with everything from startups and individuals to very large, well-known companies that everybody listening will have heard of. And he is an accomplished author and keynote speaker who does a lot of work uh, in personal growth and transformation. We are so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, Michael Moon. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. All right. So am I. Um, I just listed some of the main highlights in your bio, but that's not necessarily all of who you are. So can you um, share a little bit more about yourself with our listeners? Sure. Um, I guess the uh, uh, I guess the way of starting here is that uh, I've been in uh, Northern California uh, for uh, most of my adult life, which is 40 years. And I had a very successful um uh, business professional career, um, but I've also been part of the, many of the subcultures here in uh, Northern California. Uh, personal growth, personal transformation, new age, um, however you want to characterize it. Mm-hmm. And um, in particular, uh, on, a, on a professional side, uh, I've owned and operated my firm for 30 years. Um, my firm has generated probably $2 billion in revenues for its clients. And uh, I've personally been part of uh, 200 or so uh, major system deployments for technology and uh, small to medium to large enterprises. So I have a really strong kind of professional technology, marketing, sales, uh, customer success background. Definitely. And then um, in addition to that, um, uh, I'm now uh, on my second mountain project, uh, which is to say uh, my first mountain was all about, you know, career success and status and money and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And my second mountain uh, metaphor, uh, uh, second mountain project here is really around um, what can I do to kind of make a contribution and uh, and out of that uh, uh, I've created gratitude games. That's wonderful. And I I love that analogy of um, a first mountain and a second mountain, because I see so many people that have maybe um, gotten to a certain point in their careers where they feel like I've, I've climbed a lot of mountains. I've achieved a lot. Um, I've worked really hard. I've been kind of in a very intense um, mode focused on growth and focused on, um, on a certain amount of, of career success and are maybe finding, I want to do a little more to give back, or I want to contribute. Um, I want to feed myself even, um, emotionally and psychologically. And I think I can do that by contributing to other people. So I think that's a really common journey that, that, um, that people take. And I, I love the way that you've taken it. 
Um, yeah. One of the things I'd like to kind of uh, perhaps use this as a as kind of a, a point in or a point of entry into this whole thing, mm-hmm. um, and it gets to kind of a general theory of change uh, and why people make why people make the changes they do in their life and why they don't. Uh, and this is also a, kind of one of the cornerstones or foundation concepts of gratitude games. Uh, I've come to believe uh, and observe uh, that people make needed changes in their life when, if and only and when, the present circumstances become more dangerous than taking action, than mm-hmm. making the needed improvement. And so most people do not necessarily make changes proactively. Um, they make changes uh, uh uh, largely in reaction to uh, the pain that they're feeling, uh, or if you will, uh, the hot water that's boiling the boiling the frog or the the lobster. So, in my particular case, uh, uh, gratitude games really came out of the recognition uh, that I could not go any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was, uh, it even got to the point where I was like even questioning whether I should even continue on. Uh, it was just so empty and meaningless and uh, uh, flat and without, uh, without any joy or love. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's a really powerful feeling and and thank you for sharing that because um i do think that uh regardless of of kind of whether you have maybe a spiritual practice or you have um any any you know whatever your your belief system and your value system i do believe that everybody has an inherent desire to contribute and to add value in the world and i think that's an innate part of humanity and if you don't feel like you're like you're doing that, if you start to feel that that sense of emptiness, um, I think that can really lead to kind of despair. And and you you see the conversations that are happening around um, you know deaths of despair in, in the world of people just feeling physically and, and emotionally and mentally just just worn out. And um, and I think that one way that you can counteract those feelings in yourself is to is to think about what can you do that's going to contribute to the world around you that's right um however um again back to this um if you will theory of change of mind mm-hmm. one of the things i i spend a, a considerable amount of time in four or five years uh is in uh working with otherwise accomplished executives uh, uh, men and women professionals uh, mm-hmm. who were in the middle of executing what I call a career pivot mm-hmm. uh, um, where they had gotten to really really the end of their particular career path and they had to reinvent themselves uh, and in the course of doing that uh, uh, we did something called timelining uh, mm-hmm. and where they uh, would recount uh, from the most recent to the more distant in the past. Um, uh, each job that they took or each major project they took on, uh, what they hated about it uh, and what they loved about it and what they learned about it. Mm-hmm. Now, in the course of going through a job uh, and beginning to tell the emotional truth about what I hated about a particular job, and I use those terms mm, uh, with some 
concision uh, in mm-hmm. that I really wanted to get to the raw, the underlying raw emotional truth uh, as opposed to kind of the, the more happy face narrative story that we put on all. In the course of, of going through uh, uh, recapitulating, uh, going through and reviewing uh, the highs and lows of a career, uh, there were three things that really popped out. Uh, mm-hmm. One that I really want to highlight here uh, was this transformation um, of your context of, of self. Mm-hmm. Uh, not concept, but context of self. Interesting. And, and most of us started off uh, early in our life uh, in a context of self that I called me. It's about me. Uh, and things happened to me. Uh, and, and in that particular context, we don't necessarily have a lot of agency or a lot of choices. And usually we get bumped around a lot and we just take a job to make money to pay, you know, to pay the bills. Uh, And then from there, um, we then start to get a little more directed and a little more I-focused. I want this. I want that. And so the context of self expands to uh, uh, what I'll call now an ego uh, with these desires and these challenges. And there are certain particular careers and situations that reward a really strong ego. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are others that don't. and then we discover that a lot of the really great things that we want to do in life are really a function of being part of a team. Yeah. Where I um, I'll pull back or submit um, uh, my I-ness uh, to the we-ness um, of the team. And, uh, and on the team, uh, there are teams and then there are high-performing teams and there's a whole bunch of really great research around uh, successful teams. Uh, but in the course of that, um, I shift from what's good for me to what's good for the team. Mm-hmm. At this point, uh, in the careers that we did these, for which we did these audits, I noticed a fundamental shift when they went into an us, uh, when it went from a we to an us. And an us is more uh, primal, it's more tribal. Um, it's that experience where founders, CEOs, or uh, very successful executives will say, I am the company, the company is me. Uh, where their their identity is really more defined by the context of the organization, an us, uh, it has a tribal quality to it. Uh, it's also the sort of thing um, of a parent and a young infant. You know, mm-hmm. when you've been around a young child and they're just learning to walk and they they fall down, right? <clears throat> uh, we go, well, yeah, it's okay. It, it, uh, uh, we are more inclusive. We're more. Uh, yeah, you know, we say we, we're okay sometimes, even. Yeah, we're okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, exactly. Uh, and so uh, it is from that us space that distinguishes a leader from a manager. And a real leader will go, there are only choices, there are choices and consequences, and if we don't like the consequences, uh, those are then learning opportunities to say, okay, well, uh, what new choices can we make? And so uh, really shifting into this more inclusive, trusting uh, space of us, uh, leaders are born. And then beyond that, uh, there's what I call the many in one. And for the most of us, this is rather rather kind of a peak experience, a, a spiritual moment. Uh, it's a, an epiphany of where uh, you have a sense of, oh, 
this is who I am and uh, how I am in the world and my relationship with uh, in the it, with the universe. And uh, as this relates to um, change, uh, I have found that. Uh, uh, this context of being of us um, or many in one um, allows someone to make really interesting, significant, uh, systemic changes uh, in one's life because it's it's not all uh, encumbered in all of the conflicts and the intera- and the uh, uh, social interactions that define a, a me, an I, a we. That. That makes a lot of sense. And um, I think I was 100% following you up until the end. And the many in one is is that I'm going to have to unpack that a little bit um, because that that's just an incredibly powerful concept. But I can completely see how um, when it comes to when it comes to change, uh, to have change, you have to be open, you have to be very self-aware of, of what is the current state and aware that there is a possible other situation, a possible other state, and open to the fact that what you're doing right now, how you're being right now, who you are right now, maybe isn't the best and most perfect thing. Um, and so to do that, I think something that can be incredibly helpful is that self-awareness or not not even just the self-awareness but that that desire to be a part of other people and to contribute to other people um and a lot of times that can then tell you you need to change something about what you're doing because you're a part of an us and um to be a, a member of the group you can't you know do everything and get your own way and you can't um just be just be focused on yourself and i can see how um just to be a part of whatever whatever group you're trying to be a part of um really does require that that change sure now uh the price that one pays to improve the improve your life um is that you have to uh uh Includes uh, include and kind of uh, figure out a, a way of being related in such a way that you no longer are scared. So oftentimes, um, this no, no going from an I to a we, from a we to an us, and the us to a many and one, um, is uh, dealing with uh, the fear uh, that your older, uh, less mature context context of self bears and how it justifies um, its existence. Yes, absolutely. And I think there's, um, there can often be just that sense of kind of defensiveness. uh, And that's, that's a natural human state. And to really overcome that and to, to be, to have that openness is, uh, is incredibly important. So there are lots of uh, lots of traditions, lots of uh, methodologies, lots of ways of dealing with uh, one's reactive uh, reactiveness, uh, and uh, all the major uh, spiritual and religious traditions in some way uh, deal with that, uh, as do most of the philosophical systems in terms of of uh, how to how to experience greater freedom, autonomy, mastery. Uh, control over your environment, or at least control over your emotions and thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, my particular take on that um, uh, was uh, really to land on gratitude. Um, and before I before I do that, let me uh, uh, expand on that. Let me uh, let me start off with uh, my definition of gratitude. Absolutely. Um, 
uh, I define gratitude broadly, uh, and more importantly, uh, in a way that I can operationalize it in terms of perspectives, uh, uh, mental shortcuts, protocols, habits, uh, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so I define gratitude as the uh, willingness uh, and capacity to receive the presence of others as a gift from the universe. So let me unpack that a bit. So uh, as we go through life, uh, uh, we are surrounded oftentimes uh, with uh, tens, hundreds, thousands of people. Uh, very few of those people, uh, uh, and each each one of those individuals has a certain presence, has a certain uh, unique uh, quality to the vastness that is uh, each individual. And yet we shield ourselves from most of that. Uh, and we notice that there are people, but we have no sense of them uh, as a person or, or even them as the underlying uh, uns- uh, kind of almost unspeakable presence that they are. Mm-hmm. So gratitude is uh, opening the doors of, of uh, uh, perception, if you will, um, uh, uh, so that you are experiencing more fully the presence of others. Now, initially, uh, experiencing the, uh, more fully the presence of others is scary. It's painful. Mm-hmm. It's annoying. Um, uh, and and uh, and that's enough to to uh, induce us to run back into our little hermit crab shells. However, um, uh, if one persists, uh, on the other side of that is really the experience of receiving others in your house, uh, in your house of being. It's really receiving others uh, in a way that's uh, generous, in a way that's accepting. Uh, in a way that is more heartfelt, and the re- and as a result of that, uh, my experience of gratitude expands. Mm-hmm. And as I and as my gratitude expands, I have a deeper, more intuitive um, recognition of this person with whom I'm being. So that's gratitude, right? And as we apply that to marketing and sales, how do we bring that experience of gratitude into kind of the, the uh, into marketing and sales, which is another way of saying it, how do I enable someone to buy uh, uh, what it is that we have to sell? Absolutely. And um, before we get into that, because I, I do want to transition into that next, but I'd love to sit for a minute. Um, how did you start that focus on gratitude? Was that, do you think, kind of a natural path that, that just happened as um, as you've been on this journey of, of personal growth and, and transformation? Or was a really specific um, kind of insight that you might have had that really started you thinking about gratitude? Sure. Um, most people that have known me for 10, 20, 30 years uh, would not associate gratitude with me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would characterize um, the arc of most of my adult life as a one of a deep sense of ingratitude uh, bordering on resentment. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, if there was a messenger uh, sent into the world uh, uh, for bringing gratitude in the world, I am the least likely of those messengers. That a lot of times will make you a more powerful messenger because uh, if you have somebody who's maybe always been naturally inclined to it and they're telling you it's important, um, you're like, yeah, 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 that's just who you are. But when you have somebody who's maybe not historically demonstrated a natural inclination um, and, and you say, you know what, I've made a discovery, that's really powerful for the people that know you and that have maybe experienced you in, in a lack of gratitude in the past. Right. So, um, uh, part of my particular journey is that I uh, have uh, done mindfulness practices uh, for 40 years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I was mindful of, what, uh, to use a nice metaphor, I was mindful of the brick shit house uh, into which I had locked myself. Uh, <laughs> And uh, this really came to a head about ten years ago, nine, nine ten years ago, um, uh, when I really hit rock bottom. And uh, so the question then is, uh, how did I climb out? How did mm -hmm. I climb out of that pit? And 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 why bother? Um, and uh, uh, I knew that I had, I knew that I wanted to, to contribute something. Um, and it would generally be related to kind of perspective uh, and freedom. Uh, how could I bring uh, a perspective and freedom into the world? Mm -hmm. um, and I started to um, really just investigate, well, what is that was going to be? Yeah. And about a year ago uh, in a meditation, um, I was, uh, I, as I just started meditating again after many years of not doing it. And uh, I developed a particular kind of meditation called a snoozitation, uh, which, which is like a nap, um, but with some hypnotic inductions uh, to make the nap more, uh, more meditative, uh, to put me more into a deeper theta uh, uh, brainwave state. Anyway, so I was in one of these deep uh, meditative states, and gratitude gains dropped in. Uh, mm -hmm. Literally, it just dropped in. And, uh, and I woke up and I went, well, what's that about? And then I started writing, and it was almost like I was transcribing something at this point. And uh, out of that, I kind of wrote a manifesto and, and what gratitude games could and should be. And, uh, and uh, it really, it was the only thing, only thing in my life that really had much sustaining sustainable meaning to it so it was really the so I began to say okay well great tell me more and I'll mm -hmm. go on my afternoon uh, walks that I call strollitations uh, again walking meditations uh, and I would ask uh, for the next logical block of thought um, to bring into the world and almost without exception boom you know two or three blocks would drop in and and uh, so that was the experience um, uh, of just really almost following my nose and asking. I, I love that. Um, we talk a lot about the idea of breakthrough and um, creating a context for breakthrough and being open and, and listening for a breakthrough. And it sounds to me like that, that meditation 
that you were participating in it was really you creating a context for whatever breakthrough wanted to come to you. And it sounds like gratitude just wanted to wanted to come to you and you had you had really set set the space for that i love uh snoozitation and strollitation i accidentally snoozitate every time i try to meditate i fall asleep um, but uh that's a that's a wonderful term well uh uh to, just a little sidebar on that um mm -hmm. uh, uh many of the uh, uh great innovators in the world Thomas Edison and Steve Jobs and so on uh, have all taken naps. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I I really encourage people um, to take these little cat naps, and yeah. uh, um, and then I said and then what I added to that is a function of work that I did in neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis and some of these other uh, other sorts of things. I learned that uh, that as you are uh, falling, as you are seated uh, mm -hmm. and beginning to meditate uh, I literally say uh, may it be uh, that in 30 minutes I wake up refreshed with zest and drive and a next step uh, a next block of thought to manifest today that's beautiful um, and inevitably uh, there is a next block of thought uh, that is burgles up and uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, but but uh, uh, getting back to your other point about uh, uh, foundation, uh, I would characterize this as perhaps getting ready or getting ready to get ready. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and part of getting ready is to be receptive. And part of being receptive is to uh, focus not on any one thing, uh, however, to focus on just being a space in which things occur. And that sense of being a space in which things occur uh, is uh, one of the primary objectives um, of meditation, or at least in my, my practice of it. it. So it's this shifting from being Michael, you know, sitting in a chair, to being a space in which Michael is sitting in the chair exists. Now, I understand linguistically that's a little bit of a, a challenge, and maybe the, uh, the syntax of it's not quite right. Um, however, what the, the, uh, the underlying experience uh, is this shifting of your ground of being from being a thing, an object uh, with a history, uh, to being a space in which your experience occurs. And as you identify more with the space, uh, uh, and sometimes we call that the witness, the observer, uh, as we begin to identify more with being the space in which things occur, um, uh, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. And part of that is the freedom to engage, uh, the freedom to be, uh, and uh, the freedom to receive. Or a greater capacity um, to receive. Yeah, that um, that's a that's a, such an important concept, and uh, you're right that that just the the reception is um, is a state of being and is uh, is something that you have to kind of create. 
I pulled you away from this earlier, and I, I'd like to um, get back to it, which is um, you have a really unique way of how you perceive that, that gratitude relates to sales and sales leadership. And that's something that I found incredibly powerful when we were discussing it before. And I'd love to hear you share that with our audience. Sure. Uh, I work a lot with uh, startups. In fact, I'm an equity-based advisor to about five different startups. And so uh, oftentimes this means I'm working directly with the co-founder, CEO or whatever, uh, who is also in the, in the position of having to sell. Uh, and specifically, uh, uh, sell oftentimes for their, the first time in their life, which is to say uh, they're not a professionally trained salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which means they don't have a lot of good habits, nor do they have a lot of bad habits. So they just have, you know, <laughs> unconscious habits, so to speak. Definitely. <laughs> um, and so uh, with that particular uh, view uh, or uh, perspective, um, I have found that, that um, uh, there's a fundamental shift in terms of how customers today buy things, whether it's B2B or B2C. Uh, customers uh, insist on having a sense of being in control of the buying process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so if you're talking to a salesperson on the, lo- on, uh, on the telephone, oftentimes uh, you've got your smartphone, tablet, or computer uh, that's Googling what he or she uh, is hearing from the salesperson. Um, so it's almost like instant uh, verification, inf- inf- instant uh, fact-checking, uh, and uh, over the course of this, most buyers today have uh, developed, especially younger ones, uh, have developed an exquisite BS uh, 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 indicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so buyers today not only want to feel in control, uh, they want to feel like uh, that this interaction is not a waste of my time. Um, and part of that is a personal sense of I like you, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm uh, I have a sense of I can trust you, uh, and that I am, uh, and that you will do right by me. So um, uh, a lot of those experiences um, are are not fulfilled uh, in most selling uh, situations. Which is to say, uh, uh, the salesperson um, oftentimes does not make a uh, a, a meaningful uh, uh, meaningful relationship uh, with the uh, pro- uh, the potential buyer, uh, nor do they really um, uh, become very intimate with them in terms of disclosing uh, information or um, a little bit about who they are and what they're up to. Beyond that, uh, uh, the conversation um, for sales today is really about uh, not about what I have to sell, uh, but what it is that uh, really bothers you and what are some of the indications of pain about which um, I might be able to help you better understand. So the selling relationship, um, uh, generally speaking, has shifted more towards it being buying enablement uh, around helping someone maintain their sense of autonomy and control over the buying process and really partnering with them 
uh, as opposed to jumping too quickly into demos and you know features and benefits and so on. Absolutely. You see so often that the sales process is actually almost designed uh, for the salesperson to try to control things to the point that they're making it more difficult for people to buy. And I think of how many times I want to learn about a product or service and they say, you need to schedule a call with a salesperson. I'm like, no, I just want to learn it. Or you want to order something online and they say, you can't order that online. You have to go to the store. And um, I understand that that's a selfishness in me that I, that I expect that the world is going to adapt to how I want to buy. But I know I'm not the only one who's like that. And we have to think about how we want to buy when we're thinking about how we sell. And so if you would not tolerate something as a buyer, why are you trying to make your buyers jump through those hoops that you would definitely not jump through yourself? Well, that's exactly right. And, 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 and part of your answer uh, to that uh, is that uh, the, it goes back to the quality movement under Deming and Duran. You know, the system will only produce what the system will allow production of. Uh, so most of the sales systems, uh, and think of them as values, behaviors, protocols, metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the selling systems uh, w- really arose from industrial selling processes during the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, 70s and 80s. And while they've changed a little bit to incorporate things like email and live demonstrations and so on, uh, the underlying system uh, of, again, perspectives, mental shortcuts, uh, metrics, uh, uh, systems, protocols, and so on, has not changed. Mm-hmm. And so and so what you're having now is salespeople that are mm, incented, trained, managed uh, to sell in a way that's at increasing odds with how customers want to buy. Absolutely. And how does that tie to, to gratitude, do you think? Well, the opportunity, so um, uh, the opportunity to um, work with uh, someone who has a potential need for your product. Um, is that um, about getting your needs met, uh, achieving your goal, uh, or is it really about helping the customer uh, become more uh, effective uh, and clear about what it is that he or she needs? Gratitude can be the bridge uh, between uh, one, doing what I know I, I need to do in order to get this thing sold, to uh, uh, really serving uh, what the customer needs, uh, and oftentimes helping the customer understand what his or her needs are. So gratitude is, first of all, works uh, in the selling process uh, as a, a sense of being connected uh, on a very kind of uh, nonverbal, uh, personal uh, basis mm-hmm. and being able to hear uh, the uh, what's the ener- uh, uh, being able to hear uh, the nonverbal uh, intonations um, of concern, of pain, of desire, of uh, avoidance, of fear, mm-hmm. and so gratitude, if you will, becomes, if you will, a superpower uh, for understanding uh, the unspoken uh, desires and fears um, of your customer. And 
um, becomes a way of, uh, it's also a way of becoming aware of that uh, in a way that's not perceived as manipulative um, or uh, uh, trust eroding. Absolutely. And if I were to kind of say how I kind of understand what you're describing, if I am truly grateful and using your definition of gratitude, you know, um, receiving, having the willingness and capacity to receive the presence of others as a gift from the universe, if I believe that the presence of my buyer is a gift and that their needs are, are a gift for me to be able to resolve for them and their desires in terms of their, their buying process is a gift that I'm able to participate in it, then I'm going to approach that situation with patience. I'm going to approach that situation with flexibility. I'm going to receive the gift in the nature that, that it's been given to me. And that really changes the way that I, um, that I go about that selling process. Right. Now, um, for some of us, uh, what you uh, outlined there uh, is, well, of course, and that's, and I strive to do that. Um, and then there's another group of us that are going to go, Elizabeth, what rope are you smoking here? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I, I've got a quota and I've got to make these uh, 15 calls a day. And it's like, uh, um, it's not a particularly pleasant part, but, you know, I get it done because, you know, I got to get it done. Right. Yep. So, so uh, let me talk to that cohort of people that are kind of in a uh, uh, kind of uh, in the mechanics and uh, of it all. Mm -hmm. um, Let's see where do I want to start here? Um, one, the sales call today is not about you; it's about your customer. Two, you don't know jack nothing about your <laughs> customer until your customer uh, uh, discloses uh, in progressive levels of trust progressive levels of intimacy. Mm -hmm. You don't know anything until your customer discloses it. Mm -hmm. Three, the job is to be uh, a, uh, a receiver, a creative, uh, a, a receptive, uh, a reception, uh, an invitation um, uh, for someone to disclose with you uh, things that they probably might not divulge uh, with a, a stranger with unknown uh, motives. Four, uh, the job of being receptive to uh, a, a, a customer means uh, that uh, I do not presuppose that my product is a fit for what it is that you need. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself uh, is where most salespeople fall down or come up mm -hmm. short, is they start with the presupposition that I have something that you could use, as opposed to, hmm, I wonder what it is that's really going on, and I wonder to what degree we're a fit with what's going on. So, uh, six. This means uh, that the initial part of the job of selling uh, is to offer uh, two or three hypotheses uh, of uh, what would explain 
these indications of pain. Mm -hmm. and, and it might be something as simple as, you know, Elizabeth, uh, I, I really don't know a lot about your company. And I've, I have studied some of it a little bit on, online, uh, but I really, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just coming in without really knowing a lot. However, uh, uh, other companies that with whom we've worked uh, that are similar uh, in terms of size and, and organizational dynamics as your company, uh, they've shared with us uh, uh, that uh, the, they've shared with us that they are they they deal with these kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. Issue one, issue two, issue three, and and those issues are going to be more formally stated as a indications of pain symptoms. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, any of those resonate with you? And you'll say, "Well, this one kind of says." Well, uh, uh, again, uh, knowing not knowing anything about your company, uh, 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 our work with uh, our customers uh, suggests one of two, uh, two or three root causes for that particular indication. I miss N. Now I'm. So this, now I'm getting into the specific content of a solution, but generically, mm -hmm. uh, the root causes are going to fall in one of three domains. One is uh, a missing or uh, inefficient system. Mm -hmm. Two, uh, a missing uh, or inappropriate protocol. Somebody does something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or three, uh, an accountability. Uh, 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 right? It, it that particular uh, is a function of somebody's job, but they're not accountable for it. So they don't consider that that's that part of their job. So inevitably, root causes are going to be a, a function of a system, a process, or an accountability uh, that's missing, uh, missing, incomplete, or simply inappropriate. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we are now on the root causes, uh, what I oftentimes a customer will say, "Well, gosh, show me what you got, right?" And here, eighty, eighty-five percent of the sales are killed in terms of what uh, the salesperson does. If we immediately go into a product demo, yes, <laughs> kiss of death, right there, <laughs> kiss of death, because you know, then it's just about bragging. You know, it's just about, uh, you know, my, you know, my thing's bigger than your thing. Kind of thing. It's yeah. just not relevant. You still don't know enough about them just because it maybe hit like, okay, you have a symptom that that's not enough information to, to be able to fully position your product and even know if it's the right product. <laughs> well, that's right. And so at this point, um, uh, what I what I would love to do, uh, and this is one of the pieces of work that I do for some of my clients, is um, uh, I create uh, what we call a guided tour. Um, and a guided tour consists of anywhere from five to ten uh, short-form videos, for mm -hmm. example. Um, and the videos, each video is a use case. And each video uh -huh. is a 30 to a 90-second user story that says that starts off with a role, a situation, a role, an indication mm -hmm. of pain, uh, 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 the root cause, and how it is that in our product uh, we address that root cause. 
Absolutely. It's it's right. so simple when you explain it. And yet it's amazing how many salespeople don't necessarily have that language and how many organizations don't have any sort of tools or documentation that really shows that you need to understand specifically how you solve the problems that you encounter for your customers. You need to know what those problems are and then be able to tie that to your solution. Um, there's a tool that I'll include in the show notes that we have called the problem opportunity matrix that helps an cool. organization tie the features of your offering to the benefits that those provide to customers, which solve specific problems. And then you, you need to have a success story for each one. So to say, you know what, I had a client just like you, and they were experiencing a problem like this. They sure. use this specific aspect of our offering and it produced mm-hmm. this result. Is that the kind of result that you're looking for or not? And be open to the fact they might say, no, that story actually isn't relevant and you're like okay i need to listen a little bit more and find out what story is well that's right so uh once uh, so at this point typically you're talking to the advance guard the scout Mm -hmm. the champion uh the change mobilizer uh and what they really want to know is uh 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 uh, can I put you on a short list of possible people to, to have with whom to have further conversations? Mm-hmm. So the, point, the whole point of the guided tour uh, is to get the keys to the elevator, mm-hmm. uh, which is permission to talk to other as- affected stakeholders within the organization, either uh, individually or in, or in collaboration with your, your change mobilizer. Absolutely. And at this point, um, it goes. Gosh, it looks like uh, it, uh, it looks like uh, the root cause um, of these symptoms is X. Uh, let's do a better job understanding, or let's now find out how pervasive uh, and the the, the impact um, of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, uh, we want to start uh, something doing kind of a loss calculator. Mm-hmm. or a loss calculation. And it goes back to my earlier point. Customers only change when the uh, buyers make needed improvements, mm-hmm. only when their current circumstance becomes more dangerous than, make, than making the needed improvement. Mm-hmm. So the loss calculation um, is uh, starts off with, you know, who's affected and how. And uh, what's the emotional impact and what's the organizational cost in terms of lost sales, uh, inefficiency, uh, uh, redundant expense, uh, lower asset utilization, and a bunch of different standard categories for building the business case. Mm-hmm. So once uh, you start, to, uh, and at this point, uh, it shifts from being um, a, a one-on-one conversation to now where that change mobilizer has to then go within the organization and start to build a consensus to address the problem. And that's where, and that's where most sales techniques fall down. Most yeah. sales, most salespeople uh, go, oh, I've got, you know, I, oh, there's Elizabeth. She really wants this. But, <laughs> Uh, but it kind of falls in what I call the 90-90 rule. After you do 90% of the work, uh, that last 10% is another 90%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and so at that point, um, in a B2B context, uh, you have to put together a business case. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and there are three parts to a business case. Uh, one is, uh, what is the cost? Uh, what does the current problem cost us? Right? Uh, it, and cost us in a manner that a CFO will go, yep, that's significant. Uh, t- 
two, um, uh, actually there's more than three, but uh, three areas, but two, it's what is the what does a general solution look like? What does mm-hmm. this problem solved look like uh, in terms of systems, processes, and accountabilities? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how do I know that you've done your due diligence in selecting this company over this company? So there's a decision-making criteria by which we arrived at why we went, why we chose this particular company versus another. The, the, the next element on that is the total cost of ownership, total, the cost to acquire, the cost to implement, and then the three-year operating budget in terms of what are the three-year costs associated with this new capability that we're building. Mm-hmm. And then finally, and this is where, again, most proposals fall down, is the organizational change management. Yes. Which is uh, which, and I call, call that satisfaction assurance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so somebody has to think through and, and put together a milestone-based project plan with phases in terms of how it is that we're going to roll, uh, how it is that we're going to roll out this new way of working. Mm-hmm. Who are all the different people and groups that might be impacted? Um, because all of those, they will understand it to an extent, even if you don't, and they might think it's worse than it is, and they're the ones who can throw that wrench in the works and completely prevent the sale from happening. Well, that's right. And uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, a term that I use with my startups seems to really resonate. It's a little colorful in its metaphor. It's I call, uh, we rub everyone's nose in the shit stack. (laughs) Uh, And the shit stack is all the dirty laundry. It's Mm -hmm. all the poop. It's all the poopy diapers. Uh, it's just, uh, and uh, the purpose of which is to make people slightly ill with how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can share a story, an anecdote uh, that perfectly illustrates that. Or we I can- would love to hear it. So there was a large uh, uh, company in the Midwest uh, at, at that point in time. They were called Hubert. I don't think they're, they're in, they've now been bought up. But at this point, uh, they produced a. Uh, uh, they sold everything into a grocery store. Everything okay. except except the uniforms. So uh, not only the groceries, but the, all the fixtures and you know shopping carts and so on. And. Um, this, uh, they had a catalog, they call it a big book catalog, a 900-page catalog that would have all uh, 50,000 of their SKUs uh, uh, listed. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, uh, e-commerce was coming along, and they needed to synchronize the website with the printed catalog. And inevitably, everything was, uh, uh, there were a tremendous amount of errors yep. between what was online and what was in the print catalog. And they said, oh, we need a digital asset management system. Um, and uh, uh, Tom, a uh, fellow named Tom Marine, says, well, let's find out exactly what it is that we need. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, one of the things that he hit upon was just sheer brilliance. Um, uh, it was about a, uh, I think it was about a 150-person firm. And they had this large lunchroom. And in the lunchroom, he put up four uh, four-foot by eight-foot white cork boards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 32 linear feet, uh, and he put a, 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 a string uh, or a line right through the middle, a horizontal line through the middle of it. So above the line, uh, what they did is that we're going to physically model how it is that we produce our catalog. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, uh, so if there was an inbox, uh, they would take a, a Polaroid and they'd put it in the inbox. If there was green bar, you know, the 11 by 17 uh, computer uh, output kind of stuff, mm-hmm. they would staple it there. How does this data get over here? Well, it, it's walked over here on a floppy disk. <laughs> or you know what? So they would show an orange string from this. So in the course of this, uh, over the course of two or three months, now this is in the lunchroom. So everybody's seeing uh, this set, this shit stack get created. Right? Mm-hmm. And over the course of this, they identified there were 305 discrete steps oh my to go goodness. <laughs> to, to produce um, a 900 book, a 900 page catalog and a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there were a couple, couple, three or four things that came out of this. One was they were entering price data five times on oh. a manual basis. That is so ripe for data errors. That's that's mind-boggling. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so it was no so root cause. Uh, root cause entering pricing data five times induces all sorts of pricing errors that are really expensive to solve once the, once you've got an upset customer on the line, right? Mm-hmm. So that led to uh, one core principle: get it right the first time, and get it right the first time up front. Mm-hmm. Right? Another thing was there was all this systemic distrust. Oh, you know, she always gives me crap data, so I have to re-enter it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so in the course of this, uh, they outlined uh, their process. And everyone contributed uh, something to the board because everyone literally work was on the board. Yeah. So it was a collective, tribal um, a mood board, but it wasn't a mood board. It was a collective, tribal uh, model of how it is they, uh, they do things. In the course of this, it became utterly clear what bullshit, what utter putrid crap <laughs> defined their process. Absolutely. And so in, the, so in the process of that, it completely took away uh, any resistance to change. Like, this sucks. We all are in agreement that this sucks, and whatever to whatever degree I've contributed suckiness to this, uh, I am now acknowledge my complicity, and I withdraw uh, any resistance to change. <laughs> I love that, and that's uh, you know a lot of times we just we're, we're trundling along, oblivious to what's actually happening around us, and it's really like you said, causing people to really see it and sit in it. <laughs> And it's only once they're once they they're really aware of what that current situation is um, that that they're open to change it. I I'm thinking back to a job I had in college and right after college, where I was helping um, the school that I graduated from transition their database from one that was older than me <laughs> to a new one, and how incredibly resistant people were going from a like you know, black screens with white text and physical data backups that you had to walk. Cause I remember that process that I had to do. And this was in 2004 um, uh, to, to a very nice, normal, modern system. And yet people are so set in their ways and so comfortable that, that they didn't want to switch. And so, uh, as you said, just really helping people discover and recognize the pains that they've almost blocked out. Um, and are, are hiding from themselves uh, to really help them get to a point where they're they're ready to make a decision. Yeah. So um, 
so so with back to gratitude in the sales process mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, 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 there's also then how you manage uh, the your particular salespeople your sales development reps your account managers and so mm -hmm. on and so part of that part of the standard operating procedure is to do a, a weekly pipeline review uh, mm -hmm. or deal review and uh, however uh, uh, that's an opportunity um, to bring uh, this new perspective of gratitude into the review process um, by which to, by which to inject greater empathy uh, and greater awareness of uh, uh, what's going on in the organization which will always uh, which should then induce the salesperson to go you know I could do a better job here understanding what's going on in the organization I could do a better job empathizing I can do a better job can uh, uh, really confirming as opposed to asserting um, uh, what's going on Absolutely. I think there's there's empathy between the manager or leader and the salesperson, and then there's an empathy and a, and a gratitude between the salesperson and the sales organization and the prospective client, and right. that just openness to to what is there and um, and being willing to accept the situation as it is, as opposed to trying to kind of force it to be something that it isn't. Right. So um, another aspect, and I, um, uh, I've begun to write about this, uh, and this has to do with what I call the game of strengths. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a, 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 some really remarkable work that has come out of the University of uh, Pennsylvania School of, po School of Positive Psychology around something called character strengths mm -hmm. or values in action and character strengths. And a uh, quick little sidebar. Uh, Dr. Martin Seligman uh, mm -hmm. created something called the um, School of Positive Psychology, mm -hmm. and he asked the bold, revolutionary, pissed off millions of people question called, most of what we know uh, in psychology is what makes people ill. Uh, most of psychology, 99% of psychology is dedicated to pathology uh, mm -hmm. and the diagnosis of pathology and the interventions uh, one can take to relieve someone of the symptoms of a pathology. Mm -hmm. Not much so much on cure. It's kind of like, you know, you're broken and we're just going to kind of mend or fix it around the edges. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he said, hmm. No one has really yet taken on the question, what causes well-being? What uh -huh. causes happiness? Uh, and needless to say, a lot of his clinical psych people uh, who are pathological in their uh, pursuit of uh, uh, quote-unquote medical interventions um, got really upset. Nonetheless, uh, Seligman persists. Uh, and uh, much of the work that you've seen around happiness the mm -hmm. happiness project and happiness protocols, gratitude, all on ground zero start with uh, Seligman. And uh, uh, fast forward, uh, part of uh, what they did is they did a systematic analysis of all purported systems uh, that or all systems that purport to contribute to happiness, wellness, and well-being. So religious, religious and spiritual traditions, philosophical, sociological, um, uh, performance management systems, etc. Mm -hmm. And out of this, they said, okay, um, uh, are there any common 
transcendental or, or interdisciplinary themes. Mm-hmm. And, and they identified six virtues uh, that's, that seem to be at the core of every, uh, uh, of, of every uh, uh, discipline that purports to contribute to wellness. And they said, those are pretty good, you know, things like uh, 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 perspective uh, uh, or things like uh, love. Uh, but uh, uh, are there, or can we get more granular? And what they did is uh, they developed uh, a taxonomy of 24 unique character strengths uh, that are universally positive. Now, mm-hmm. they tried really hard not to put the stench of pathology and diagnosis, and diagnosis in it, and they've succeeded more or less. There's still a little bit of a after order of, you know, PhDs with uh, pathologies in their, in, their, <laughs> in, their, in their models. But nonetheless, they've created a... So character strengths are things like uh, creativity, love of learning, uh, prudence, uh, wisdom, judgment, uh, fairness leadership, teamwork, uh, uh, appreciation of uh, beauty and excellence, uh, 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 things like that. And uh, what they did is they then came up with an instrument, a survey, uh, by which to uh, allow individuals to find out what their top strengths were and which which ones um, are not so uh, core uh, to who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, or core to their expression. And uh, out of this, uh, we discovered that the top seven or so character strengths um, uh, are the basis um, uh, for your superpowers. <laughs> and so when you really, so for example, uh, one of your character strengths, um, Elizabeth, is curiosity, right? Uh, love of learning, uh, yes. appreciation, appreciation of beauty, I think, was another one. Yep. Those are three of my top five. Right. Um, and um, another one was, uh, I think, perspective. Yeah. Um, right? Good memory. Uh, and, <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh, so, so uh, understanding those, the question then begins, what can I become? Uh, and so instead of them just being kind of passive, uh, passive kind of uh, what shows up uh, for me, to now how can I become more conscious, deliberate, and intentional about using those character strengths. Mm-hmm. And so as, as we become more mindful and intentional in terms of how you exercise and grow curiosity, uh, love of learning, uh, appreciation of beauty and, uh, and excellence, uh, leadership, whatever. Uh, uh, as you become more conscious of that, uh, you begin to then use those as a way of how do you structure your day? And those, if you will, are some of the guideposts for how you plan your day and how you work your day. Uh, so, for example, I have a love of learning. One of the things that, that requires is that I spend a certain amount of time every day learning something new. So part of my daily plan, part of my daily habits, is that I have at least 30 minutes of reading a professional book, professional development book, mm-hmm. every day. Some days it's longer, some days it's shorter, but every day I have the uh, goal, the checklist box of, of uh, reading something every day. So part of uh, um, being an effective salesperson uh, or a buying facilitator, uh, might even be a better uh, way of, of speaking about that, is to really, first of all, 
uh, go to the VIA Character Strengths Organization, VIA, V-I-A, mm -hmm. Character Strengths Assessment, take the assessment, and really uh, begin to understand and study uh, your top seven character strengths and to start to develop a plan or how do you start to exercise those uh, with more mindfulness and, and, and intention. In the course of doing this, you will discover uh, uh, hidden sources of energy uh, within you. You will find yourself more buoyant and more uh, uh, resilient uh, and more just energetic on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Uh, so I really look at character strengths uh, as, if you will, some of the foundations, uh, the foundations, the, the, the charger packs, the energy sources uh, for creating and sustaining gratitude uh, uh, as, a, uh, uh, as an intentional act. Absolutely. I think we can all, um, once we understand our strengths, we can all think of times when we're not using them and we feel kind of drained. And, and it's hard to get the energy sometimes to, to do more positive behaviors if you're in a situation that is that makes it difficult to leverage the strengths that you have. And so, so often we're incredibly focused on figuring out our weaknesses and, um, and building around those weaknesses and developing systems and processes uh, to, to account for the weaknesses and make sure they don't cause um, problems for us. But if instead of that, or in addition to that, um, but, but if you really think about your strengths and can I leverage those strengths and can I create intentional, mindful situations that will that will help me um, both deepen these strengths and, and reflect on them and allow them to contribute to the life that I want, it's going to be an easier lift than fixing a weakness because it's already there. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it it just creates a, a sense of, of optimism right. and of, of just natural acceptance that that's a lot easier than trying to, you know, change a bad habit or, or do something differently that, that, um, you know, you're, you're naturally inclined to do. Right. So uh, I really want to come back and uh, uh, circle back on this notion of bad habits mm -hmm. um, or negative traits. And, uh, so let me say it rather um, uh, bombastically, uh, and then I'll soften it up and kind of, and then figure it out. What horseshit? Uh, it, this is just a, a systemic insult on humanity to think in terms of bad habits or ne or, or negative traits. Mm -hmm. Now we can trace that back to our religious traditions, you know, original sin, and let's not get me started on that. But the point <laughs> is, uh, the point is, is that uh, and. Uh, Psychology is again, uh, we are victims uh, or we, we've been abused uh, by the pathology seeking uh, psych uh, psychologists and psychiatrists uh, and have infected uh, our culture with the notion of weaknesses or bad habits or negative traits. And look, as soon as you step into that, uh, as soon as you step into that paradigm, everything coheres you see nothing but negative you yeah. see nothing but bad habits you see prophecies <laughs> well that's that's a, a function of the paradigm um or the meta perspective uh, that you've uh, adhered to which you've adhered mm -hmm. so I'm, just, I'm saying let's flip the script on that let's just let's just completely uh reframe that in terms of there is no such thing as a good or bad habit there are habits 
mm-hmm. and there are context and there are specific contexts in which habits are good and which ha- are life per- uh, that per- promote wellness and well-being mm-hmm. and that the same habit will produce uh, in a different context another thing I remember when we were first learning this back at NLP well what do you what do you think about these you know uh, serial murderers you know or uh, you know, <laughs> there's an extreme yeah. example <laughs> sure well uh, in a civil society, uh, a murderer is not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you want to have somebody uh, in wartime, who do you want in your foxhole? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want somebody who's going to kill the uh, going to kill the enemy. So, so uh, you know, oh, you're an arrogant, uh, uh, arrogant, uh, d- uh, domineering individual. This is well, uh, in a social situation, that's unpleasant. Uh, but again, uh, in a uh, fierce com- uh, in a fierce context, uh, say in a battle, you really want somebody who is uh, fearless and domineering, and uh, and who can lead us to the hill. So, my point being, uh, habits are habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, perspectives are perspectives, and uh, and whether they're good or bad is not a function of um, uh, my knee-jerk reaction that my culture has told me to, how to interpret this, but really to examine in what context uh, is that pro-life uh, or uh, pro-well-being, and what is it uh, anti-life uh, or anti-well-being. Um, and there, I've got a choice. So. Uh, so the notion of character strengths is a is a, uh, a necessary, uh, but ultimately insufficient, but a necessary step in the right direction of countervailing this habitual unconscious thought that there's something wrong with me. That is uh, that's a really wonderful um, just overall philosophy, and I think that that's uh, it's going to be. Uh, a, a big change from how people, like you said, have been have been habituated into into thinking. But uh, it's it's potential for um, for growth and for creating a context for um, for happiness and for gratitude and for everything else positive that we've been talking about today. I think is incredibly powerful. So before we before we wind up our conversation today, I'd love to ask you a couple of questions that we ask almost all of our guests. Um, so do you have a sure. couple more minutes for that? Sure. All right. Um, we love to share books with our listeners. I think you and I both share a love for learning, and I know our listeners, many of them probably do. There's a reason they're listening to this podcast. So do you have a few books that you might recommend? Either, um, obviously, they could be in, in any, any context, sales or business related, or more kind of gratitude or psychology related, whatever you think um, makes the most sense. Sure. Um, uh, let me just throw, uh, say, four out there uh, that... Um, I really like uh, for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the one that I, I really like is called Flourish mm-hmm. uh, by Martin Seligman. That uh, was written about nine years ago, um, but it was uh, his introduction of a fully operationalized theory of well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and what I mean by operationalized is that it's been put into systems, processes, and accountabilities. Uh, and where, and uh, it really brings forward things like character strengths and uh, uh, and uh, other sorts of protocols to produce uh, mindfulness and, and uh, gratitude. I will definitely be buying that right away. 
In particular, um, he talks about how General Kelly, then the head of the Joint Chiefs Staff, commissioned Seligman uh, to design and implement a psychological readiness training program mm -hmm. uh, for the U.S. military. And so uh, th when I talk about an operationalized theory, uh, this has now been implemented across the entire armed services for uh, 10 years, creating the largest longitudinal uh, study mm -hmm. um, of wellness practices and uh, what I'll call gratitude protocols. Absolutely. And if there's any organization that's capable of fully operationalizing something, that would be the military. <laughs> and, uh, yep. so, um, so that's one of the cornerstones uh, for my gratitude games. Um, another one uh, that I really, really like, uh, it's called The Trusted Advisor by David Maister, M-A-I-S-T-E-R. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this, uh, first of all, when I read it, uh, I was uh, ill most of the time in terms of uh, what I, of how, what a crappy uh, uh, trusted advisor I've been most of my life. <laughs> uh, so uh, magisterial, just, just, un, uh, just each each page has you know two or three or four underlined marks uh, in it for me. Wow. Uh, and um, so it is uh, comprehensive, uh, it's incisive, uh, and it's imminently practical. And he introduces this notion of uh, the trust equation. There's a nice little uh, kind of a algebraic uh, expression for trust. Trust equals in their mind. Mm -hmm. Credibility, mm, people believe what I say. Reliability, uh, I get to keep, I, I, I have a track record of making and keeping promises. And intimacy, which is to say I've disclosed uh, personal, uh, personally uncomfortable information as well as being willing to ask uncomfortable, uh, potentially personal questions of mm -hmm. my clients. Divided by, uh, they call it self-orientation, uh, I'll call it context of, uh, context of being. Mm -hmm. You know, is it about me? Is it about you? Is it about us? You know, that sort of thing. So trust is a function of credibility, reliability, intimacy, divided by um, self-orientation love that that makes such sense and i think a lot of times we focus on um you know we you really have to think when, when you've got that that fraction <laughs> you need to really add to the top in order to uh in order to build that credibility and and you have to have that understanding of what is the context and if you if you don't know if you don't um, have a sense of it you're you're really um setting yourself up for failure all right the third book uh, recently came out. It's called Range mm -hmm. uh, by David Epstein. Uh, and uh, David Epstein uh, is one of the most gifted writers. Um, and, uh, and in the range, he basically makes the case for that there are two kind of life strategies. Um, the Tiger Woods strategy, you know, you know, at the age of four-year-old, you're going to be a professional golfer. Mm -hmm. um, and there's the, uh, I can't remember the name of the other sports star, uh, Pete Sampras or something like that. Uh, or the Van Gogh strategy where uh, you spend your first 20, 30, maybe 40 years sampling uh, mm -hmm. uh, things uh, uh, until at which point in time you find your true calling. And because you've got this diversity of skills and experiences across many different domains, uh, you quickly master uh, the domain of your passion. Ah. So 
utterly brilliant, and he uh, utterly eviscerates uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, 10,000 hour bullshit, uh, you know, to become, and just completely eviscerates it and goes, has, and even get Malcolm Gladwell to publicly acknowledge, well, it seems that I have conflated two theories into a third. It's not true. <laughs> Um, the fourth book that I would recommend is called The Surrender Experience by Michael Singer, a very successful tech entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's really, uh, what is the life of, of systemic mindfulness? How does that lead? What, is, what does that do? And uh, uh, what does it mean to, to live a life of gratitude? Mm-hmm. And then for those that are uh, over the age of 45 or 50, uh, I would recommend uh, The Second Mountain by David Brooks, uh, which is uh, kind of the inspiration for me now in Gratitude Games. Sounds like it. All right. That, that is quite the list. And we will include uh, all of that in the show notes for people who are listening while driving or, or in a place where they can't write things down. Um, in in the interest of just uh, helping our listeners continue to grow and develop, we always try to provide actionable um, tips and advice. I know you have shared a lot so far, but if you have another one that you'd like to share um, toward the end of this, uh, that would be helpful. So is there a, a specific actionable tip or piece of advice that you would recommend? Um, yeah. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Just breathe. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that um, is we take breathing so for granted. Um, and yet in each breath we receive, in the most literal of terms, we receive the gift of life. Mm -hmm. And so... We then have a moment-to-moment -moment choice, uh, whether to just simply, you know, mechanically <laughs> breathe, uh, or to really experience the vastness of the moment now in each breath. And so, one of the things I do in my in my day uh, is I just take a moment, even just like right now. and savor um, the sense of just being alive. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we think about our life, um, our life is a string of pearls mm -hmm. uh, that are seven seconds in duration. Mm -hmm. So what did we do? Did we receive um, the moment as a gift or did we go, did we check out, did we go, you know, to become uh, mindless? Did we allow the, it just to kind of slip through us? So part of meditation, part of the snoozitations, part of the walking meditations, part of a healthy diet, uh, all those good things uh, really come down to appreciating the moment now. Absolutely. And um, that's something I personally struggle a lot with. And um, I'm sure probably many of our listeners might find themselves in the same place. And developing a, 
a way that you can do that. I use an app um, that that helps with guided meditation, and it has a, a function that that literally reminds you of when to breathe, which sounds dumb, but it is really helpful. Um, you know, figuring out is it is it spending more time in the outdoors um, and and having walks. Is it um, putting on noise canceling headphones and not playing anything and just literally having those on to help block out some of the sounds around you? Figuring out how you can implement that those moments of just breathing and and reflecting and thinking it's and and sometimes even getting to a point where you're maybe not thinking and and you're able to to just exist that's so important and and our society is really just creating it's difficult it's something that we're kind of almost encouraged against uh and and yet so critically important well, we, we have commercial empires uh, that are dedicated to keeping us distracted uh, so that we not only go to sleep, but we buy all kinds of products that we don't need uh, in the futile belief that they'll make us happy. Indeed. And somehow that doesn't work. All right. Well, um, I have I have so much enjoyed our conversation today, Michael. I feel like we could keep talking for another like three or four hours, but uh, we've already sure. gone past our originally scheduled time. So apologies for that. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Um, Gratitude.games would be a place to start. Uh, I'm just now putting together all of my content Mm -hmm. for my stuff, but uh, another way to go is just to find me is on LinkedIn. Michael J, J J-A-Y, Michael J Moon. Wonderful. Um, and I can just uh, tell everybody who, who is listening, um, I highly encourage you to just look into all the work that Michael has done and, and his writing. And um, I'm sure everybody who's listened all the way this far uh, can understand uh, what a deep thinker you are, Michael, and, um, and just the, the way that you want to contribute to people around you. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. And, and, uh, and thank you for uh, making this conversation happen in the world. Thank you again, Michael. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 205. Be sure to tune in next week for my interview with David Lynn. He is called the Gratitude Dude and a CEO at a company called Generosity Series. In the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where Joe, who's our new senior business development executive, is sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, any topics or questions that you want us to address, you can always reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your shows. While you're there, if you leave a rating or a review, that'll help us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling! Yeah.